Okay, there you have it. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to tonight's broadcast, live broadcast as well, of the Road Recovery. I am your host, Dan Chuba, coming to you live from West Chicago, the offices of Daniel and Associates Real Estate. Not that I really want to promote my real estate companies to the world, because I doubt you guys are going to buy anything, and my license is only good in the state of Illinois, and I'm not going down south, but... I am telling you that for a reason, because even though I am a drunk in recovery, and today is January 26th of 2020, I have been sober now 24 years, 4 months, and 26 consecutive days. Yay! Yay for me! You know, yay for me. Really, yay for me. And if you have one day of sobriety, good for you. 
That is yay for you, too. Let's do a clap for you, too. Okay? Listen, any amount of sobriety is a good thing. Mine just happened to be 24 years, but hey, you know what? It could have easily been 24 hours if I didn't work my program, and I do. I work a program in recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. It's one of the main sources. It's one of the main ones. I, I do, you know, a few things because over the years I've learned a lot of things, okay? And and that's what this show is about. It's about me telling you what worked for me and what didn't work for me. And sometimes we have guests on the show to talk about different things and different circumstances and you know, there's their own, usually we try to share our own personal experience, strength, and hope. We tell nobody to do anything. You know, we suggest what worked for us. And if it works for us, maybe it'll work for you. And maybe it won't. Okay, but you got to try it out. I don't know that you have anything to lose. I wish I would have known about program recovery a long time ago. I wish I would have known that this is a of the mind. It's a brain disease. I'll tell you what, I can't sit still. I'm here, sitting here playing in the office with the phone, and I disconnected us. Okay, so I don't know how much of that you got or how much you didn't, but you know what? We try to share our personal experience, strength, and hope here on the broadcast, Road to Recovery. I didn't know what to call it. I used to call it uh, the next step because there's 12 steps, and I figured, what's the next step? Well, you know what? The next step is actually doing, you know, repeating the 12 steps on a regular, consistent, continuing basis. But when I get, was given the opportunity back in May of, oh, what was it, eight years ago. Eight years we've been doing this broadcast every Sunday night. Yeah, I missed a few times this year, this last year, simply because I wasn't well. A couple things came up. You know, life changes. I don't have anybody to back me up in the way of shows. I have a, a helper, Steve. I want to say thank you, Steve, for all you do. And if you've got the website set up, I appreciate that, Road, R-O-A-D, the number two, recovery.club. You can go on there and find out anything and everything about us you want. It's a good thing. Uh, and if you don't, you don't see what you want, call us. You don't tell us. It's a live broadcast. You are welcome to call in. The live show number is area code 323-580. 5755 and join us here on the road to recovery. Okay? Oh my gosh, road to recovery. What is this? Oops, I went roadtorecovery.com. What is that? I don't know what that is. Okay, we're on the wrong road to recovery here, boys and girls. I'm on the road to recovery.com and it should be .club. Did I say .com? Shame on me. Sorry, Steve. Oops, did I get it? Yes, here we are says the site is not secure. Okay, well, that's okay. I don't care. I want to see it. I want to see our site. Show it to us anyway. Go to the start page. No, that's not what I want. Oh, I swear. I swear, you guys. Road to recovery dot C-L-U-B. 
Let's care it is. Okay, why did it come up now? Man, Steve, what a nice job on that page, man. Yeah, you can follow live along live on the show. You can go see our broad uh, our uh, archive show somewhere on this site. I don't know, it's not all there, Steve. Excessive sleeping, irritable, sorrow, melancholy. Well, you got a lot of stuff happening here, Steve. Well, that's okay. Steve sets up our website, and Steve is a great guy. I thoroughly enjoyed him. He and I have been friends now just under five years, and uh, he's just a great guy. He stood up in my wedding, actually. I got married last year. Yeah, here's a guy. You know, I was talking to a guy today, and he goes, yeah, I'm on my seventh kid. Seven kids. Oh, my God, seven of them. Uh, as long as you can feed them, God love them. That's great. Good for him. But, you know, seven kids. And he said, that's about it. And so then when you're talking, he goes, how about you? And he says, oh, four is my number. He goes, four kids? I go, no, four times I got married. Four, you know, last time I saw him, I was not married. And I told him I did get married. And I married a wonderful lady, Martha, lovely Martha. And I'll tell you what, I stuck gold when I when I met Martha. I don't know, God was certainly very, very good to me. And I don't know why God was good to me, but I'm grateful that he was, okay? And you know what? That's what the beautiful thing about this program is why he does what he does. I don't know. But I I like to give him credit for it and let him take the reins of my life. And he does a great job with my life. I think I have to uh, do a little bit more of the motion. You know, more of the effort, put a little effort out there. But, you know, I've been doing it for 24 years, four months, and 26 days. You know what this uh, last week was? It was my birthday. Yay! Birthday. Yes, it was my birthday. I just turned 63 years old. Holy moly. 63 years of age as of now. I'm an old man. I, you know what? Really, I sobered up when I was 38, and I never, really never thought that I would get to 40, let alone 63. My father died at the age of 64, and he was in one hell of a bad shape for for most of his less the last year or two of his life. He never took care of himself. He was a big drinker. Um, you know, and, and it caught up to him, and it took his life at a young age. His his grandfather died at the his not grandfather his father died at the age of I think seventy four seventy five, and uh, I don't know, I don't even know what when his brothers all went because I think they're all gone, or most of them are. But that's okay. I'm here, and I've got six brothers, and I've got six sisters. And as of the last time I talked to them or talked of them or heard of them, they were all alive and well. And that's good. Well, when we say well, physically well. Emotionally and mentally, not too well. Okay? Because you know what? Drinking does have an impact on people. Any of your addictions do. Now, this this program, by the way, is not just directed only to alcoholics or alcoholism. Although that is the one thing that I can speak probably more... Uh, knowledgeably about than most people because that's what I am. I was a, an alcoholic. I I had two DUIs, not that I'm proud of any of them. I'm surprised that I didn't get any accidents. I'm grateful for, for that. I didn't hurt anybody, kill anybody. 
although the um, the damages that I did were in the marriages. I was married three times, and that's, again, something I'm not proud of. I was married three times. I, I didn't understand marriages or what they were about. I was caught up in my addiction, and uh, there were a lot of casualties in that sense. A lot of people were hurt. I have three children, two uh, two on the West Coast. They were raised by somebody else. I wasn't around. And my son, um, yeah, well, we don't have that father-son relationship that I, I see with a lot of people. And, and uh, you know, that's a price that, that I have to pay on a regular basis to see him have a relationship with other people and not with me. Uh, we talk. We get along fairly well, I guess. But he's just, we don't have that connection. And, uh now, again, I'm going to write it off to uh, my disease of alcoholism, and, and it is a disease. It's a, it's a mental disease. And I used to medicate myself with alcohol, thinking that the medication was going to make me better, healthier, bigger, stronger, faster, better looking, more fun, and instead created havoc in my life. But, you know, it's amazing how when we have our alcohol blinders on. We don't see what's going on. You know, we don't see the damages being created. And it's not until later you see the wreckage of the past. You know, you can't live in it. You can't go back and change it. But you don't forget it. You you remember what it was and you say, and you commit yourself to making a difference and, and doing something different. And I want to do something different with my life. I mean, think about how short life potentially could be, okay? Today was an interesting day in the sense uh, Kobe Bryant passed away. Kobe Bryant, I'm not going to tell you I know him real well or I was a big fan of his, but the guy was a well-known, renowned um, Los Angeles Lakers basketball player who dominated that that sport pretty much he was he was awesome and they took what five championships and uh with you know with him leading and and, and today he was killed in a helicopter accident 41 years old okay i'm living already 22 years longer than he is and he had all the money in the world you know money is good to have it pays bills it gives some security but you know it's not everything, and it can't give you an elongated life. And I remember back when I was drinking, when things didn't go my way, I had drive and, and desire to be wealthy and to be the king of the world and, you know, you name it, what goes along with all that stuff. And when it wasn't happening in the way and the shape and the manner and the timing that I had anticipated, I don't want to say hoped, I expected it to, I got really angry and frustrated, and I drank more. And the more I drank, the crazier my life got. And I blamed everybody and everything. It wasn't never my fault. It was always somebody else's fault. And I didn't realize it until when? Until I finally sobered up. And what caused that to happen? By the way, again, I'm going to remind you, this is a live show. If you get tired of hearing me ranting and raving, or if you have a comment that you want to make, or a question you have, or if you 
want to share a story of your own or want to ask questions, you know, that you know somebody has an addiction. And the addiction could be many. Gambling. I have friends that are gamblers that are in, in Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, sex Anonymous. There's a Sex Anonymous, believe it or not. There's drugs, alcohol, drugs, cocaine, narcotics, heroin Anonymous. There is food Eating Anonymous, if you're an anorexic or a bulimic, you know, any of these mental diseases, these are mental diseases, folks. It just shows up in your life as an addiction. And once you stop the addictive nature, when I stopped drinking, 30 days after I quit drinking, I got over the physical addiction to alcohol. I, I didn't crave it as I did before, but the mental obsession with the thing that, that lasts pretty much most of your life, although I don't bother with it. I, you know, my birthday was this last week, and we went out, my, my wife and I went out with some friends, and we went out on a gift card that my sister gave me last year. Thank you, Donna. You're the best. Diana, Donna and Brian, they're the best brother-in-law and sister. Donna's my favorite sister out of six sisters, and she laughs. Everybody laughs because nobody wants to identify a favorite. But, you know, Donna, just the youngest one, she was always easygoing, non-controversial, um, just rolls. And she went ahead and had seven kids of her own, and she did and is doing very well. Let's see here. I've got a caller. Are you, uh, can you hear me, caller? Yes? You're welcome to join us if you'd like, or just hang on the line there and whatever you'd like. Anytime you want to jump in, just just say hello and we'll talk, okay? But again, what we're I was talking about this last week. I went out to dinner with my wife. Uh, we went to a very very fine restaurant and we invited some friends of mine, uh, clients, friends of mine. I wasn't sure he was going to make it, but they did, and that was great that they did, and we had a great time. And they actually brought two bottles of wine, which I guess I didn't know that this particular restaurant allowed you to bring your own wine in, and uh, they did. They brought the two bottles of wine. They had called ahead to my wife. They called ahead to the restaurant to make sure that they could bring them in, and they said, sure. So my wife uh, told what her recommendations were, and we just had a really delightful evening. And, yes, I was just a second tempted to taste the wine, you know, because it was there. And then I thought, you know what? So what? I might like it, and I don't want to like it. I don't want to like it at all. So I just said, thanks, I'll pass. I uh, settled for a Coke and a glass of water, which is generally what I do, actually. And I had a great evening. The food was great. The company was great. This, I think I've been eating like a cow this last week, actually, because uh, my wife made a turkey dinner which was incredible, too. That was uh, Friday, and we had some other friends that came over, some really dear friends. This guy I used to sing with in the praise group when we were actively involved in the church, and, you know, he, uh, uh, he's he got this really rich, deep baritone voice, and, uh, and he's a heating and cooling guy, and he's just a really, probably one of the gentlest giants I know. He stands about seven foot tall, just short of seven feet, and just a great guy. He does all the heating and cooling for my real estate company, 
And, uh, yeah, we had him and his wife over, and that was delightful. And I feel like I've been eating this last week because everybody has food they want to give me, and it's like, wow. You know, it's so easy to see how you become addicted to anything that tastes good. I tell you, we don't talk much about my wife's uh, previous husband who died, actually. They were married for quite a long time, and he passed away about 10 years ago. It's not like we don't know of him because his pictures are up all around the house but we just don't really get into conversation but i gotta tell her i said i said to her honey if you cooked like this for your husband no wonder why he was really really overweight because he was but the food that she makes she goes yeah at the time she probably cooked more regularly than she does with us because both of us work and you know we're like two shifts passing in the night we see each other we you know it's it's probably the best relationship i've ever had and you know it's a great time but uh, any specific questions, by the way, caller, that you wanted to address? Any topics that we can touch on that would be of interest to you? This is your chance to speak if you'd like to. If not, that's okay. Glad you called in. Okay, uh, and you can, too, call in to the show. We have plenty of lines. It's uh, area code 323 just want to listen. You can just call in and listen live if you want to ask questions or share a comment, um, anything about yourself, about a friend. We'll give you our best, um, our best. We're not professionals. I'm not a professional. I'm a. I guess maybe I was a professional drinker in that sense. Drink a lot of, drink a lot of alcohol. But uh, as far as that goes, uh, I've learned over the last twenty four years four months, and 26 days what to do not to drink anymore and what to do to keep from drinking. Number one is change your playgrounds and your play uh, playmates. You know, I, I uh, when I got sober, I realized that I needed to, excuse me, stay away from the guys and the women that I used to hang around with because everything we did with them, uh, you know, was around alcohol. Alcohol was always Involved, You know, the funny part of it is, in the beginning, when I got sober, as things, I got away from alcohol, things started to settle down, because at the time it was happening, I, I tell you, I was having a hard time, I really want, I wanted to commit suicide, and I, I, I didn't have the courage to do that, and I'm so glad and grateful that I didn't have the courage to commit suicide, but I felt comfortable, you know, I didn't know where to go. I didn't have any insurance money to go to rehab, and, and I just found Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and I went in there, and I kind of hid out there. That was a place, a safe place. I really didn't have any more money. I couldn't afford to go drinking, and I didn't want to create any more debts, and um, my family didn't talk to me, and it, it was a mess. It was, a, you know, I was bankrupt so many ways, financially, morally, mentally, uh, spiritually, and on and on and on, okay? And I got to tell you something. It was a tough time in my life. It really was a tough time in my life. And I didn't know what to do, and I crawled into AA. Crawled into AA and said, God, I don't know. I was, in a, I was doing a foxhole prayer. I was, God, what can I do in my life to make my life better? You know, what can I do? I, I, I want to die, but you obviously don't want me to come to 
come anywhere. Actually, and I didn't even think God, you know, it's a funny thing about that. You know, I was convinced God hated me, but yet I had a great respect for him or at least knew that if anybody could help me, it was him. And and he did. And, and you know, oftentimes you'll hear it said about recovery is people that are caught up in addiction are those people that have lost hope and have little or no faith. They lost faith, you know, and when I had to find a higher power, you know, I, I didn't want to give credit to God because I, I was convinced he hated me. Did you ever have one of those where you knew somebody was in charge, but you didn't want to recognize them and and acknowledge them and say, yeah, I know you, you are the rock and the, and the rule and everything. But, you know, eventually I did. And, you know, it was, uh, yeah, you just can't believe, begin to believe, you know, so when, when you're getting better, when I was starting to get better, because I was just away from that crazy life and crazy lifestyle, and things started to settle down. It's amazing how our minds tell us, well, maybe it's okay to go back and drink. Maybe I can handle it again. Maybe I wasn't handling it right or well, and maybe now I can do this. And i got to tell you something. Uh, I'm glad I didn't go back out because I couldn't handle it. That's the mental that's, – that's the tease that, that it calls you. It's, alcohol is cunning. It's baffling. It's powerful. And it's very, very patient, okay? It's very, very patient. And like somebody says, you know, when I go home, I park it on the outside of the door. But as soon as I leave house – it's right back with me, carrying, you know, going along with me, going, hey, you think you're going to drink today? And I usually go, eh, I don't think I'm going to drink today. I, I, I have no plans. I don't worry about tomorrow. I don't worry about next week or next month or next year. You know, I don't know how much Kobe Bryant planned ahead in his life, you know, with his millions and millions and millions of dollars that he had. You would think that he would have had a good life with a family. It's unfortunate he lost. He went down uh, in a helicopter crash with nine people, including his daughter. And her life was snuffed out. And that's how it happens in this world. It's just a temporary world. But we get caught up in it. But, you know, how many plans did he have for his future? Me? I'm not really seeing it. Hey, I'm thinking maybe if I can, I would like to go to Spain this year with my wife. The Chamber of Commerce has an opportunity that's going, and we're going to plan for it. We're going to hope that we're going to get there. We have to get some money together to get it up and get over there. But, you know, that's the thing about it is I have hopes, I have dreams, I have aspirations, but I don't have expectations like I did before. And when things didn't work out the way I wanted them to in the past, I'd get really upset. I'd get really nuts. I would try to think, you know, and that's when my sick mind would take it and go, you know, like the uh, mutiny on the bounty, you know, like people were plotting against me. And they weren't. It's just our sick minds want to do all kinds of sick stuff. It's incredible. But I'll tell you what, the best thing I could do is not put alcohol in it because if I put alcohol in a brain like mine, pop goes the weasel. You know, I saw my mother today. I, I don't know if I told you I went to see her. She's like 93. She's she's leaving this earth fast. She's losing her desire. She just wants to sleep. We went to breakfast, brunch with her, uh, a couple of my family members, and my wife. And 
I don't have that kind of bond with my mother that, you know, my wife had with hers. My wife had a great bond with her mother. She has a great bond with her daughters. Uh, I don't have that. That's part of the intrigue and the fascination I have with my wife is because she has that and I didn't. And she shares it with me, and I appreciate that so much. But we went to see my mother, and my uh, I, my sister-in-law was there with her. And, yeah, it was, uh, it was a, you know, the sister-in-law was there with us, and, and it was a good thing. And, uh, um, you know, my mother really didn't talk much, but, you know, we did attempt to chat and the the most response we got from my mother was when we started singing the alphabet love song and you know if, if nobody re, nobody objects maybe I'll sing the alphabet love song later we have another caller caller are you there would you like to join us or you just want to listen in okay if you do want no, to join us i'm um i want to discuss the ptsd have you gotten around to that yet not yet i'm glad you did well Welcome. Welcome to the show. Let's talk about PTSD. We can jump right into that, okay? Do you, are you, uh, okay. uh, are, have you suffered from PTSD? No. Um, and I want to talk about it other than um, how it affects our military, as, um, as you've alluded to on your description page. I happen to think that it, it's, um, it may be more uh, prevalent um, in America than people think. For example, let's say you, not you, but the generic you, let's say people as kids um, used to fool around with firecrackers. Then okay. uh, something traumatic happened while they were fooling around with firecrackers. Let's say somebody lost a thumb or a, um, or a finger or an eye. I think that from that time on, it's very possible that whenever they hear anything that sounds like a firecracker, it um, it makes them um, extremely depressed instantly. So I would think I would classify that as PTSD. Well, for the listening audience and anybody else besides, do you have a first name we can – can I – do you have a name? Yeah, my name's Joe. Joe. Hi, Joe. I'm Dan. Okay. Uh, PTSD, ladies and gentlemen, is post-traumatic stress disorder. And it is, like Joe was saying, and I agree with Joe, that I believe it's more than just people that that, uh, uh, experienced it in the service. I believe that it it happens, like Joe was saying, Uh, you know, somebody has a traumatic experience, and the description Joe gave was a firecracker exploding and somebody got injured, and every time they hear a fireworks from that point on, it, it... it brings back feelings of depression. It brings back maybe fear, um, a sense of, of inability to control, correct? Well, I would assume so. I can also give you um, what I presume either is or will be a real-life example. I had met okay, this girl a couple of years ago, and after we, um, we started talking, she started telling me about her experiences with her neighbors. And she says she lives above a garage, and the um, the superintendent of the building or the landlord, I think it's the superintendent, um, keeps going in and out of the garage making noise every time he does it. Then she has neighbors on her floor who every time they go in and out slam the door. 
she has two, what do I call them, um, white noise machines. I don't know if they're effective or not. But when I met her and in person, she is such a lovely person. But when I talk to her on the phone, she gets so irritable, so irritated. Um, so my presuming that because um, everybody, uh, you know, in in large cities, and she comes from a large city, they, ha- uh, they have problems with noise, if they, especially if they have really noisy neighbors. So she says she has some like seven neighbors on her floor, and all immigrants, and they all slam the door like from the ghetto they came from. So I'm going to presume that um, she either has it now or she's going to have it in the future. <laughs> she's going to have PTSD? Is that what oh, you I, say? Yeah, she, PTSD. Yeah, she's going to have – okay, and that's related to – well, you know what? Like you said, there there are all kinds of – these are mental diseases. I'm going to just be real candid. PTSD, alcoholism, any kind of addictions, they're all mental diseases. They're, they're uh, addictions of the mind, and that's why we, we as a society need to give it more attention, more understanding, maybe learn a little bit more, and how to help people to grow beyond it. Because um, sometimes I believe, and again, uh, this is just my opinion, but sometimes I believe that uh, people identify themselves as a victim, and it and it's good to be a victim for some of them, and they don't know that they can get beyond the victim stage. And you know, I am here to say that I walked through that valley, and and it was not easy. It wasn't easy. I I had some post traumatic stress issues with my father, who was a, an explosively violent alcoholic. Uh, things that come to my mind are, you know, waking up at 2 in the morning to the sound of crashing glass and all of a sudden my mother screaming out loud going, Len, Len, stop beating me, stop beating me. And, you know, and then the cops coming and nobody, we didn't know what was going on. We were told to stay in the basement of our house where we were, you know, sleeping. That's because we had a big family. We, we split, you know, different house. And, you know, I, I tell you what, I grew up with so much fear that there was a time that my father started wailing on my brother, and I wanted him to kill him. I wanted him, to, my dad to hurt my brother because I felt my brother incited my dad to get nuts and angry, and, and I, did, I wanted my brother screaming to stop because it was it just listening him scream and 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 tell my dad please you know stop 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 I wanted my dad to end it just so I didn't have to listen to it anymore that's how sick I was at one time it's amazing it's amazing what what we go through and what creates these these demons or or, or problems that we have in our mind but the good news okay there is good news here Joe is that we can grow beyond our disease, our problems, we can get beyond PTSD. Did you know that? Well, I would imagine so. Do you have any idea of how we can get beyond it? Well, I guess psychotherapy, if it's good. Psychotherapy is good, sure. You know, I went to therapists and counselors for years, and that was still when I was drinking. And one of the first questions the therapist used to say to me is, you know, does alcohol play a role in your life at all? And I, you know, 
you're talking about my best friend at the time. And I'm like, no, not at all. And, you know, once in a while I drink a little bit here and there. It's no big deal. I'm not going to tell him, yeah, I drink all the time and, you know, I could get nutty and crazy and do this. You know, I'm certainly not going to tell somebody like that what's going on. So I don't even know how they can get a correct diagnosis based on incorrect information going in. But um, in all the time that I went through these counseling services, I got to tell you something. I... I was I was pretty sick still at that time, and the thought of these guys invading my private thoughts and memories was was really aggravating. I didn't show it on the outside, but on the inside, I was not very happy with them. I was thinking, you know, what right did they have to know about my personal things when they've never experienced anything like this? Do you understand? Yeah, I'm hearing you. Well, your girlfriend or this friend of yours that that you were talking about, could you relate to her when she was telling you the story? How did you what? Were you able to relate to her, you know, the experiences she was having, the difficulties she was having with the yeah, doors opening? Yeah. Um, I empathize with her. I sympathize with her. Uh, but that wasn't enough. Um, I could tell she was just unraveling over the phone. So, right. um had to stop calling her because um, couldn't get anything done. She was just always irritable on the phone, although in person, because I would see her at um, at dances, uh, she was always pleasant, always sweet. But I guess in, on the phone, inside her apartment, um, I guess the uh, the noise was going on as we spoke. Who knows? Well, when... And I can only speak again for myself and you know and what I've saw in my life. I had a series of masks that I wore that helped me get through life because if if you really knew the fear I had, the anger that I had, the hatred that I was carrying around with me i I was convinced I was smart enough to know that people would probably incarcerate me at the time, and this is you know like I said twenty five years ago and I wanted to like I said I wanted to to, to whack my counselors, but it wasn't until I got into AA, and when I started to let some of this stuff out, and I sat around the tables and listened to people talk, and a lot of them shared similar experiences, maybe in their own way, maybe not in the same intensity, but there were so many people, and so many of them could understand what I was talking about, and when I had a turn to to, to talk. When I, you can see the sincerity of a nod of a head, and 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 it and it touched my heart. It 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 healed me, believe it or not. It made me feel less than that unique, less than, you know, the only one out there like this. Cause yeah, that's but you weren't the feeling. only one that suffered. Yeah. So you found um, some sort of relief, and I guess some sort of a carriage companionship, in a group, right? Is that what you're going to say? That's exactly what I'm telling you, and. When we admit it outward, out of our heads, when we get out of our heads and share it with somebody that understands and can relate. See, if, if that's why I ask if you had, um, you know, if you ever had a similar experiences, and it's, it's, it's more difficult on the phone than it is in person. Because, again, I benefited from the sincere nods of people that didn't speak, but I could see they were relating to the stories that I was talking about. Okay, on the phone, it's very hard to pick that up. Okay, but in person, 
when you're you're bearing your soul and it's very scary and and you're out there but you're with other people like people that are bearing their soul that's why i don't mind being called an alcoholic because i already tell in the world that i'm messed up that i'm I, i'm not a, a perfect person i don't need to be perfect anymore because when i came into that place i had all these different masks that gave the illusion that i was perfect or at least in my mind it it led me to believe that I was projecting perfection to other people. Do you understand? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we go out to parties. People say, Dan, you're the most wonderful guy and everything like that. And I'm thinking, boy, you're a jerk, you know, and, and uh, you know, just leave me alone. Keep your, And I'm saying this in my head while outside I'm going, yeah, what's up? You know, how you doing? I tried to fit in because I thought that's the way I needed to live my life. I thought that's the way it should be. And it wasn't until I really let down my guard and opened up and spilled my guts out on the tables over the over a period of months and years that that I was able to really find me. I was so f- afraid to find who I was behind all the fear, behind all the anger, behind all the upset. And I thought, oh, my God, if you knew who I really was, you won't like me. And the the other said, people said, well, who are you? And I go, I don't even know who I am. I don't know who I am. But in the process of recovery, by sharing with a hu- another human being that could relate, see, that's the key word is the relatability. It's good to talk to people. Okay, but if, if people haven't experienced that, that might tend to lead you feel more awkward or less uh, accepted or acceptable. Does that Does that make sense to you? Joe? Joe's gone. Okay, Joe left us. Interesting. It's, a, again, a, a very, very interesting topic. PTSD. We were going to have a guest on tonight. We were going to have a couple ladies coming on the show, actually, to talk about PTSD. And at the last minute, they, uh, the organization they belong said that they they didn't feel it was in the best interest of the group and what they were hoping to accomplish to uh, be part of the show. So thank them for the thought, and uh, maybe we can get, again, somebody to come on the air like Joe to talk about PTSD because it's a very important topic. And like Joe said, it's not just limited to people in the service. It's anytime you know, a, a traumatic experience takes place. You see a car accident. It could be a car accident, and then you jump every time you see one. And sharing that, nobody wants to to let people know that they have a weak side or a sensitive side, at least not not me. When I was growing up, I I wanted everybody to think that I was a tough guy and that I could take care of myself. And, And that's the way my generation and society said, hey, you know, be a big man, grow up, be a a man, you know, be a man. How many times, and today we're having so much gender confusion. Are you a man? Are you a woman? I can relate. I'm going to tell you, I can relate to that too. Because there was a time that I felt I would rather be a woman than a man because my dad was such a bad example of a man. I didn't want to be like him. Okay, and my mom was a poor example of what a woman was, and I thought I could be better than that. Okay, yet why do we have to put a gender on it? Why do we have to say you have to be a woman? Why can't you just be a man with effeminate tendencies? 
okay? I don't care to talk about cars and fixing cars or sports. I don't really care. I enjoy watching football. I watch some of the things, enjoy them, but I'm not a, you know, a diehard, I got to have it, man. But I don't think it takes away any of my masculinity. I love women. I love everything about a woman. I think women are incredible. I think God did an incredible job creating a woman. Okay? If you could ever understand them, God love you. Good for you. But you know what? I don't have to understand them even. I just need to accept them. That, you know, that's who they are. And that's what the program of recovery has taught me as well, is acceptance is such a key. <laughs> Excuse me. Live show. I'm going to have another one. You know, the sneezes remind me, too, about the <laughs> the new virus that's out. What is it called? It's called something virus. What is it? Um, let's find it. Let's see if we can find the virus. What's the virus name? You know, and that's a scary thing because who'd want the responsibility, by the way, of caring for a billion people? A billion. That's unbelievable. That's a lot of people. Okay, let's see. Now it's, you know, I'm looking in the news, and it's all about the Kobe Bryant loss. And that's sad. Uh, let's see. Where is... Okay, the news got shoved to another page, and we have lost the story of what the virus was. What is the virus? New fears. Chinese. Oh, here it is. Okay, what kind of virus is it? I'm trying to speak intelligently here, and I can't even find the darn name of the virus. Okay, it just says, oh, here it is. Corona. Coronavirus, the coronavirus, okay, the coronavirus, you know, you got to be aware of it, that's the the world today, you know, I can't imagine, you know, we see all these movies that uh, they put in Hollywood of of viruses and how they close communities down, they shut a community, a town of 10 million people from going in and out in order to stop the spread of this, that's incredible, 10 million people. Wow, maybe maybe this will create, like Joe was saying, maybe this in itself will create a PTSD situation for somebody too. To experience and to survive a traumatic virus. Maybe their their family catches, maybe their family dies from it. Yeah, there's so many things. You know what? That's and again, I don't want to get into specifics, but you know, that's we are human beings. And our mind is not infallible, it's not perfect. We can fix ourselves, and that's the key thing about recovery from any addiction. We can fix ourselves. If we're not beyond saving. And usually as long as you're above ground, there's hope you got to put more effort into it, but there's hope. Okay? And it takes some effort and work. And the problem is that people quit before they get to the end. I don't even want to say the end because I'll never see the end of this program for me. But each day gets better and better and better. 
you know, Joe was mentioning this young lady that he went dancing with. She goes out. She's a great time. She has fun. But she gets on the phone and she starts talking about it, and it comes out. Maybe it's because it's a safe environment where she feels more comfortable talking about it. And the more she talks about it, the more irritated because she doesn't know what to do with those feelings. She she doesn't know how to release them and let them go. I got to tell you, my first year in the program of recovery, Alcoholics Anonymous, I did nothing but cry each almost every meeting. I was so crammed full of crap, so crammed full of fear, anger, depression, everything, you name it. I had a guy who says, hey, listen, Dan, I'll pay for your psychiatric care if you want to go. And they, what's the first thing they said? Well, let's put you on Ritalin. Okay, and I said, okay, I'll do whatever, you know, let's, when in doubt, go do something different. You've got to do something different. Doing the same thing over and over again is insanity. Okay, so I decided I'm going to do something different. The doc that I went to said, take medication and you'll feel better. And then the more I I understood the the, uh, medication he was recommending, the more I realized that I was dumbing down my thoughts, my feelings. I I was not facing them. I was avoiding them. And that wasn't a healthy thing. And so when I went back and he kept saying, increase the dose, increase the dose, increase the dose, I said, no, that's, yeah, maybe I need to increase my medication and maybe the more I talk about it at a meeting, the better I'm going to feel. And it's true, I did. I talked about my feelings of depression. I talked about my feelings of wanting to commit suicide. I got to be careful because you talk about it and and which, you know, whatever you're going to talk about it. And the first reaction people go is, oh, no, you don't want to talk about that. No, no, you do. You want to dump it. You want to get it out of your head. See, anything that stays in our head by itself reverberates into something bigger and crazier and nuttier. And once we actually physically air it out of our mind, okay, and get it out of our mouth, speak it out to another human being, to God, to ourselves, another human being, you know, it's like taking the fizz out of fizzies, taking the the seltzer out of what? Pop. And that's it. You don't have that big everything that's, you know, it doesn't build up to be a big whatever, Communication, talking with people that could share and understand. The sad part of it is, and I can't speak for Joe, but here's a guy who sounded like he was concerned about his friend, and he wanted to see her get help. And if if he could, he probably would like to help her. How can you help an alcoholic? Well, you can't. Other alcoholics can help other alcoholics because we can relate and we can feel. You can't feel what I felt. You can try. You can try to be empathetic and sympathetic. But if you've never experienced what I'm going through, it will be very difficult for you to relate. That's why I was explaining to Joe as I told my story in the meetings. And when you see the people's heads nod and and you see the, the emotional reaction to what's being said, from a personal first-hand situation, you know they've been there. You know they've been through what you've been through. And it's comforting to know we're not there anymore and that we are beyond it. 
And we're able to recognize that and talk about it, which sometimes is the most hardest thing in the world to do. We put on another face and we avoid it. I was an incredible avoider. I figured out that I was wearing about seven or eight different masks by the time I found recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, this show is not endorsed by Alcoholics Anonymous in any way, shape, and form, and this is not a paid show and a program, and I've been doing this eight years. I do it because it helps me. It helps me to continue to stay sober. And in the process, maybe some of you guys might learn something from it. Maybe something that you have might help me to learn and grow even more. And that's the beauty of the program. You know, we're not asking for donations. We don't need them. You know, I spend, what, 100 bucks or something to run this show every every month. Hey, thank God for AA. If I didn't sober up, I could afford it. I could afford to let go of that money. I have a wonderful wife who says, hey, Dan, keep doing the show. I was doing the show four or five years before I met her. And she has no problem with me going off on Sunday nights. No matter where we're at, we could be out out of town. And I say, honey, you got to step aside and go do the show at least for a half hour. So sometimes you'll see a reduced time in a half hour. But if I can, I want to give you all I can. I want to share with you all I can. And if I can get guests to come on and talk about it, I want to do that. Joe, thank you for the courage for coming on the air and sharing your thoughts, sharing your concerns and your compassion. You know, and that's a beautiful thing. There's a lot of people out there that have compassion, and they want to see people helped. They want people to get better. You know, nobody likes to see somebody hurting. Absolutely not. Nobody wants to. But, you know, it happens. They do hurt. And you can't fix them. They have to fix themselves. Okay? We have to fix ourselves. And we learn by going to meetings. Going to meetings at AA or NA or OA or ACOA, Adult Children of Alcoholics. You know, I know that we can help a lot of the people with PTSD if they come to meetings. But if they don't have a drinking problem, eh, you know, that's the tough part about Alcoholics Anonymous. They want people with drinking problems to just be there. And it's a thinking problem, not necessarily a, a drinking problem. But but that's sort of the kind of, the I don't want to say the rules, but group conscience, for the most part, that I've been around, said they would prefer drinkers to, to, to share with drinkers. You know, I don't know if there's enough PTSD programs. You know, other people that have experienced PTSD, if they could share it, share the experience, what took place. You know, my father, that explosive time, it's one thing that keeps coming back to my mind. The screams, my mother lived, my my. You know, my father lived. He wasn't arrested. You know, we didn't grow. We we may have some physical scars from my father, but definitely a lot of mental scars. But I've grown beyond them. It's like a, an infection that, over the course of recovery, I've lanced and drained most of the infection out. I don't know if I got it all out. Probably never will. 
but it's not as sensitive as it was before. And I could talk about it, and I could live and move forward. And the beautiful thing about human beings, Joe, is that we want to be accepted by the world. We want people to see us the way we want them to see us. And if we can only learn that who we are is the best we are that we should show other people, just being real in ourselves. That's it. Just being who we are is really more important than anything. But we don't know that when we're caught up behind our masks. Again, I had like eight of them. One was this very religious one. One was this fun one. One was this evil one, you know. One was like a dumbass one. The other one was a smartass one. It was amazing how these masks I'd throw on depending on where I felt I was and how I needed to show up. I did that. It's amazing. We're incredible people as drunks. People with PTSD, we're incredible. Because you know what? We survive. We figure out how to get beyond and we survive. And we make it work. And we work it in a in a world, in a situation, in an environment that's good and healthy. And that's a good thing. Okay, we're going to be taking a break here. Oh, my gosh. Look, it's 8 o'clock already. Joe... It was great. I'm so glad you called in and reminded us. See, I have a tendency of going off topic because I thought I had a conver- you know, I had uh, guests coming. They wanted me to talk about this upcoming. I have to find it. Okay, I'll find it during the break. We're going to take a break here. But they have this uh, event coming up for soldiers for, you know, it's a uh, multi, um, what do they call it, service chili cook-off. It's the first one they're having in Carroll Stream. And these ladies would like us to promote it. I don't have a problem with promoting it. Let's see if we can find me. Oh, Marilyn. We're going to find Marilyn Scott here in a moment. And we're going to play some Marilyn Scott. Maybe not as long as I thought it did last time. But let's see. I'm going to look for the chili. Let's see if I can find it under. You know, we have such expectations. This thing won't stick around. No, I'm seeing all this stuff, chilies, 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 and it's not what I'm looking for. What's this one? Uh, come on, come on, come on. You know, and you get this expectation of of your your internet to work for you in the same way. Let's see. Okay, I don't know who this guy is, but I'm gonna throw out and throw out. Oh, you can't. This will perm- all right permanently delete it. That would be fine with me. Let's see. Yep, another one. Permanently deleted. Okay, get rid of it. Okay, where is that lady? Lady, where are you? Here it is. Here it is. I found it. Okay, the chili cook-off for 2020. The Battle of the Branches chili cook-off. Sunday, February 9th. So that's in two weeks. At the American Legion Post 76 on Gary Avenue and Carroll Stream. Uh, It's a canine's for veterans, okay, Blue Star Mothers, Big Dipper, Josephine Kalenda Scholarship Fund. Boy, there's a mouthful for you. Doors open at 2 p.m., tasting, judging, and silent auction bidding. 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., silent auction winners and door prizes 4 to 5. Awards at 5 p.m., $20 entrance fee, two voting coins, and door prize ticket. $5 per tasting spoon, taste as much as you like. Uh, voting coins will be available for $1 per coin, 6 for 5 blah, blah, blah. Family pack 20 includes four spoons, 
for door prize tickets and four voting coins. Crockpots only. Yeah, see, there we go. That's it. Yeah, but for crockpots, man, that's not a lot of chili. Got to provide a minimum of six quarts of chili. Must list all ingredients. Oh, well, that's not fair. It's not fair. All right, but listen. Okay, sorry about that. Lady. Chicagoland Blue Star Mothers Battle of the Branches Chili Cookoff. Okay, so if you can make it out to Carol Stream, do it. There's some impassioned young ladies that have kids that are in the services that would like to uh, to help them out. And let's see. Uh, Zoe Kreiner, her son is in the Air Force, currently deployed. Son is defending our freedom and pursuing his dreams. I could not be more proud. This is uh, Zoe writing to me. When he joined, I sought out other military moms and discovered Chicagoland Blue Star Mothers. So they've been around a, a while. Okay, each year, Chicagoland Blue Star Mothers programs benefit our active duty troops, our veterans, their families, and the families of our fallen heroes. Some examples include... Christmas care packages deployed to deploy troops, working with groups to provide service animals and PTS support to returning heroes, homeless veterans program, hospice visits, and many more. You know, if you lost somebody in the service, you might have experienced PTSD. That's a shock. Anything to our psyche is a shock and probably needs some adjusting. So, okay. On Sunday, February 9th, They'll be hosting the second annual Battle of the Branches Chili Cook-Off. And they're raising funds for the Canines for Veterans and the Big Dipper Scholarship Foundation. Canines for Veterans is committed to helping veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder with the help of trained service dogs. So if these guys wake up in the middle of the night, the dog calms them down. And this is true. I, I was experiencing a few more programs, too, that we're doing this with the dogs. It's great. It's a great thing. Uh, so if you can make it, please do. And if you want to send funds, you can do that too. You can contact Zoe um, at Z-O-E-I-E-C-O at gmail.com. Or you can write to her, I believe. I don't. I think she don't mind you getting your phone number. Her phone number is 630 don't be knuckleheads. If you want to call her to make a donation, form of a gift card, or merchandise you can use as door prize, that would be great. And they're looking for help and support in whatever way you guys can. So, hey, guys, that's a good cause. I'm grateful that uh, she thought we might be able to help them out. And let's help these people, okay? Let's help out the Blue Star Mothers and their program. All right, we're going to take a break here. I'm going to put on some Marilyn Scott because I love Marilyn Scott. You know that. You've been around me long enough to know Marilyn Scott is one of my, I love her. Uh, I don't know if my wife knows that, but I won't leave my wife for her, that's for sure. Because my wife is really wonderful, too, and she's the best in the world. So, All right, we'll be back after a few songs of Marilyn Scott to the Road to Recovery here on Blog Talk Radio, part of the Link Local Network. the last of all days, would it change how you feel Would you rise for a moment above all your fears? Become one with the moon and the stars. Would you like what you see looking down? Did you give everything that you see? 
Ladies and gentlemen, Marilyn Scott. That was great. Yes, okay. Hey, welcome everyone back to the Road to Recovery. This is the last half hour. I know I've uh, embellished Marilyn Scott. She uh, she does wonderful things for me. I tell you, I love listening to her. And uh, so I hope you do too. Okay. Uh, we were talking about PTSD. Uh, we had a caller, Joe, brought to our attention that it's not just limited to servicemen. Of course it's not. You know, and... I think I uh, I thought I'd go look at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the National Center for PTSD, and they have a definition uh, of what post-traumatic stress disorder is. Now, this is a live show still, so you can call in for the last 25 minutes at 323-580-5755. If you want to sound in on what's going on with PTSD, post-traumatic, post-traumatic stress disorder is a mental health problem that some people develop after experiencing or witnessing a life-threatening event like combat, a natural disaster, a car accident, or a sexual assault. It's normal to have upsetting memories, feel on edge, or have trouble sleeping after a traumatic event. At first, 
it may be hard to do normal daily activities, like go to work, go to school, or spend time with your people you care about. But most people start to feel better after a few weeks or months. If it's been longer than a few months and you're still having symptoms, you may have PTSD. For some people, PTSD symptoms may start later on, and they may come and go over time. There's a video. Let's see. Let's play this video of a gentleman that says, how I knew I had PTSD. When you have PTSD, the world feels unsafe. You may have upsetting memories. You feel on edge or have trouble sleeping. You may try to avoid things that remind you of your drama, of your trauma, even things you used to enjoy. Let's see what he's got going here. Okay, how I knew I had PTSD. I'm Every reading. time a helicopter went over, that affected me very much because I saw some guys die in a helicopter. Well, actually, two helicopter crashes in Vietnam. The biggest trigger for me is, is smell. They do have a lot of nightmares. They have to do with what happened out there, most of them. I was in Arabic class, and I remember, um, I remember the teacher. Like, I remember him lecturing us, and I looked out the window, and all of a sudden, I started seeing things that weren't there. Um, I really thought my rapist was there. Um, I really thought he was going to come in the window and get me. Before going to Iraq, I, I really didn't understand what road rage was. I couldn't understand why people would get so angry, and I found myself really furious at people who would do things, not even necessarily cutting me off and being dangerous, but just stupid things. Back in the days when I, when I was going through what I call my Chernobyl period, um, I slept uh, one or two hours every other day. And I never slept without a loaded gun and a survival knife near me. A lady was coming towards me in a hurry. And she dove right into her purse. And the first thing I did instantly was, I need to protect my, my nieces. I started scooting them behind the pillar, started moving away, and I instantly went reaching for my hip, realized, wait, I don't have a knife or a gun. And this happened in like three seconds, and all she did was in my head, all I was thinking was, gun, 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 she's going to pull a gun on me. And all she did was get her cell phone. Sometimes I really can't leave my house. When I first came back, I couldn't even walk in Walmart. Um, I had a real hard problem going to Walmart. I'd hear people talk from a different language, and it put me on edge. I would literally back up against the aisle in the wall and watch the aisle down until they passed if they were behind me. I used to disappear on weekends and just drive come home on Monday morning and go to work. They understand why I would do things like uh, I would drive to New York City to get a cup of coffee at night and drive home. Driving became my release. They couldn't understand that at the time. They do now. They, they, they realize that I just had to do that. The emotional numbness, I think, is the most... It's, it'll just tear away all the relationships in your life. 
I don't want to have to try and explain it to people. And I don't want to, didn't want to have to go over my experiences every single time to try and let somebody know. And uh, so it's much easier just not to have friends. Everything I did was wrong. Uh, the war in Vietnam was my fault. Um, anyone who died there, I might as well have pulled the trigger. It was my fault. Um, so therefore, I wasn't worth, probably wasn't worth helping. I trusted no one, absolutely zero trust, even in my own family, my own sons, uh, my, my immediate family, and friends that I had lost total trust in my friends because I just, I felt like if I trusted somebody and somewhat opened up, I was going to get hurt. If, if you're going around saying everybody else has a problem and it's not me, chances are yeah, you're the one with the problem. Okay, so you heard it now live and a video about different people reflecting on what caused. One lady uh, had been raped, and that certainly is a traumatic experience. And <clears throat> you had some several, several veterans coming back for more. You know, again, I know I was haunted with many memories and fears of my life uh, growing up with a father who was quite an explosive alcoholic. One minute, everything's calm. The next minute, boom. You know, you didn't know what was going to happen. You lived in a uh, in a world. Okay. Yeah. I'm busy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It uh, it was uh, very scary, and it carried for a long time. And I did have depression, but you know what I found. You know what they say, what about depression? Depression is repressed fears. And I found when I talked about my depressions, the fears that I had, it was amazing how my fears, okay, uh, yeah, it was amazing how they said, uh, let's see, holy cow. Oh, we're reading about Kobe Bryant. Yeah, this is, wow. Yeah, yeah, Kobe Bryant, his helicopter crashed into a mountain today, and he was killed. How sad. How very, very sad. You know, you just, you don't know how fragile life is, how short it could potentially be. You know, my mom's 93 years old, and, and that's really, you know, in the reflection of the whole universe. That's a very small, short period of time, but she's ready to go to the next world. She doesn't really do much of anything. She just lays there and and exists. And that's a tough tough life to live. I don't know how to how to explain it. I'm sorry for her. Um but yeah, you know, it was one of those things when we were growing up. My mom didn't really keep us safe. She tried it sometime and then I think she just kinda gave up and uh saved herself and left us around my father who was a very violent man at times and very explosively violent. And the problem it was that he gave a great front to uh, all his friends and the people in public. And so everybody thought this guy was Mr. Wonderful and kept telling us that we should be, you know, we should be grateful to have this wonderful guy. I, I remember my mom even believed that she said, 
I stayed with your father 40 years, over 40 years, for you guys. And and I said she should have left the bum 20 years earlier so he wouldn't have been abusing all of us the way he was. It was just terrible. But whatever. I mean, he was an alcoholic as well. And it took me, gosh, 17 years to forgive him. I'm 24 years sober. I, I forgave him, but it doesn't mean I forgot the memories. And that doesn't mean it was okay and stuff. He was just too bad. He was sad. We'd never got a chance to develop a relationship. I've got broken family members today that don't even know what went on half the time because we lived in so much secrecy. You know, and again, this PTA, when we started talking about talking about it, I, yeah, yeah, I certainly, absolutely, positively can relate to PTSD simply because I've been through some traumatic experience. Who tr- develops PTSD, it says? Anyone can develop PTSD at any age. A number of factors can increase the chance that someone will have PTSD, many of which are not under that person's control. For example, having a a very intense or long-lasting traumatic event or getting injured during the event can make it more likely that a person will develop PTSD. It is also more common after certain types of trauma, like combat or sexual assault. Personal factors like previous traumatic exposure, age, and gender can affect whether or not the person will develop PTSD. What happens after a traumatic event is also very important. Stress can make PTSD more likely, while social support can make it less likely. You know what? We were talking about this with uh, Joe. Joe called in, and we were talking about it. We were talking about, you know, what is PTSD? Uh, how common is it? Let's see this. What does it say for adults? Uh, let's see. It's got a topic for adults. How common is PTSD in adults? Uh, going through trauma is not rare. About six of every ten men, or 60%, and five out of every women, 50%, experience at least one trauma in their lives. Women are more likely to experience sexual assault and child abuse. Men are more likely to experience accidents, physical assault, combat, disaster, or to witness death or injury. PTSD can happen to anyone. It is not a sign of weakness. A number of factors can increase the chance that someone will develop PTSD, many of which are not under the person's control. For example, if you were directly opposed, exposed to trauma or injured, you are more likely to develop PTSD. Facts about how common PTSD is. Now, I am, oh, excuse me, yawning. I'm reading from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the PTS National Center, PTSD National Center for PTSD. That's where we're getting this information, boys and girls. Okay? So how common is it? We just talked about that. Seven out of every, seven or eight out of every hundred people of the population will have PTSD at some point in their lives. About six million, no, eight million adults have PTSD during a given year. This is only a small portion of those who have gone through a trauma. About ten of every hundred women develop PTSD sometime in their lives compared with about four out of every men. That's kind of weird because that's kind of ass backwards, but whatever. Okay, let's talk about children and teens. How common is it in children? 
Studies show that about 15 to 43% of girls and 14 to 43% of boys go through at least one trauma. Of those children and teens who have had a trauma, 3 to 15% of girls and 1 to 6% of boys develop PTSD. Rates of PTSD are higher for certain types of trauma survivors. Now, Joe called up and was describing a friend of his who he felt may have had PTSD. Uh, and Joe, all I could say is, you know, thinking on it, reflecting on it, and again, it's just my opinion. We are not professionals here. We're not counselors. We're just people that have actually experienced uh, many of these things through our life experiences. But the woman you describe sounds like she's had something of a trauma happen to her, and it comes out in different ways until we're ready to face the facts of where they, what it really is. And the more we talk about it, I can candidly talk about it today. I couldn't candidly talk about it years and years and years ago because I was living it, and it was too hard to describe and talk about. And I felt very awkward. I felt very self-aware. Uh, you know, I felt broken. And that's a very tough feeling, to feel broken, you know, in a world that you want to project, uh, you know, that you're strong and you're, you're uh, intelligent and successful. You know what? Today I don't care. Today I, I don't know if it's because of my age, and it could be. could be some people say, well, you've matured along, Dan, very well. And I go, okay, maybe that's it. Maybe it's because I have worked myself through so many experiences that I, I don't worry about it anymore, Okay. I really don't. I don't worry about anything in that regards. And, okay, so I'm just grateful and happy that I've got on it. You know? Yeah, somebody says, who hurt you? You know, we need to talk about these things. We can't hide things under the mattress. We can't hide things and pretend like these traumatic experiences didn't happen. We don't have to live in them and dwell in them, but we certainly need to to acknowledge them as real okay and that's really important folks you know that we have to acknowledge these experiences that we had or somebody else has had are real and again do we want to grow there's a saying we have in Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm sure it's true for any 12-step program or any of these things that we're addressing here with mental disease and it's simply this Okay, it goes like this, all right, that we're only as sick is our darkest secrets, okay? If we don't have secrets, we aren't, we're not going to be sick, okay? We're not going to walk around and pretend like everything's fine and wonderful. The reality is that we've experienced something that affected us, that hurt us, seriously, We've, we've experienced that. It's real. It's not funny. It's It was scary at the time it happened. But now it's time to move on and let it go. And do we want to let it go? That's, that's key. Do you want to let it go? Because if you do want to let it go, then you will. And that's the most important thing. You know, AA clubs are just incredible clubs. Okay, I wish that we could have just a 12-step club all over the world. 
that anybody can go into with, like Joe was saying, you know, if you got a, a traumatic brain injury or something, here, there's another caller. Hello, caller. Did you want to be heard? I'm just Hello? listening, Dan. Thank you. Oh, okay, good. Well, glad. I'm glad you're listening. Thank you. Okay, Thank you. Uh, but we're just talking, yeah, about, we're talking about PTSD, and one of the things that I found is that we're only as sick as our darkest secrets. And, you know, I lived, when I grew up in my family, 13 kids, my mother and father, everything was a secret. They didn't want the rest of the world to know how human we were, how human my father was. My father felt that he had to have some, you know, that he had to be some Superman, you know, and uh, and he felt nobody would or could help him. And so he uh, he became the victim and, and fought it through, but he, he passed it down to the rest of us. And when anybody showed a human side of ourselves, he'd flip out and go bananas on us. And, again, you know, we learned secrets. We learned to keep secrets, and, and we felt embarrassed by them. And, you know, it's like if somebody, uh, I don't know, shit your pants, you know, you, 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 know, you have a, a problem or something, and... You know, it's a it's a human function that happens once in a while. If you do it on a regular basis because you're lazy, you don't want to go to the bathroom, that's one thing. But, you know, sometimes we get sick, ill, things happen. And while it's not something to boast, it's not something to be totally embarrassed about. It happens. It's part of being human. And we don't always want to be human. We want to be seen and perceived as some super people. And we're not super people. We're just human beings that's one of the beautiful things like i said the 12-step program for me has taught me how to be real okay i yeah i went to uh, i'm a real estate broker and about six seven years ago i went in the, and did a market evaluation a price value on a property for this older couple <clears throat> and she was in her late 70s he was in his late 80s husband and wife and they uh they were max they were they were um borrowed to the max in their eyeballs <clears throat> not sure what they want to do but i can't imagine what it's like to be that age with no money to fall back on and living very inappropriate and i i gave them a value on their house and i knew they weren't going to sell it and i just said well here you know you, you're going to need to to do some maintenance on it, etc. Well, let's fast forward it to today. It turns out the gentleman is now 95. He's in a uh, home being cared for because he can't care for himself anymore. His wife is still in the house. The house now is filled with stuff, okay? This guy was a hoarder, and he never got rid of anything. And he wants to come back to his home. And his family says that his home isn't safe to go back to. And so he called me and said, hey, can you step in and help me and and let them know what the value of my property is? And he's still thinking it's the same value that it was about six or seven years ago. So they explained the condition and the situation. Long story short, I went out and looked at the house. And they said, well, you know, you're not going to tell him that he can fix this, can you? After I looked at it, and I, I said, rest assured, I'm not going to. You know, I told the wife, she was so embarrassed. She says, well, I'm, I'm so embarrassed to bring you in here. I'm living here with my granddaughter, and and the place is a mess. 
and she goes, I want to go to, uh, a, you know, assisted living. And I said, that's what you should do, go to assisted. She goes, I can do, they'll let me come. And I said, great. She goes, but what will I do with all this stuff? I said, walk away from it. It's just stuff. You know, it's amazing how we as human beings think we have to do things and see things and be, project some sort of image to other people when in reality it's difficult sometimes to put our pants on. It's difficult to be, you know, get out of bed, my bones ache, and, you know, and I'm not always on, on my game and the best I can be. You know, and I try not to give people those expectations. I try not to let people, you know, I want them to know that I'm a human being just like them and, and that I do a good job, maybe a great job sometimes, but I'm human and, and I'm capable of making mistakes. And you know what? We all need to realize that. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to be human. You know, the only perfect person that ever existed in this world died on a cross because he gave his life for us so that we may live and go forward. So, you know, again, that's uh, my take on it. And I, I, uh, I hope you enjoyed tonight's show about PTSD. And uh, it's a topic probably worthy of talking about some more next week. I know we didn't jump right into it from the start because I thought I was going to have a guest. And my guest uh, canceled on me about two days ago, realizing that they were uh, – they weren't very qualified to talk about PTSD, but they did want to talk about, like I said, the event they got coming up to, to uh, help out the servicemen. They're having a big chili cook-off out in our neighborhood. So for those of you listening that are in the neighborhood, please stop by and enjoy some chili and support the group. For those of you not in the area, you can still go and support the uh, organization. It's called the Chicagoland Blue Star Mothers, Battle of the Branches Chili Cook-Off 2020. And if you want to send any kind of money, donations to help them out, they they certainly appreciate that. You can look them up on the Internet or give me a call. We'd be glad to do that. Uh, we're wrapping up the show in about three minutes. Uh, and uh, if uh, you guys have any specific topics that you want us to address, uh, please feel free to give me a call or send me an email. My email address is Daniel, D-A-N-I-E-L, at D-A-A-R-E dot com. Or my phone number, you can reach me during the week, is area code 630-918-6129. I even have an 800 number, 1-800-I-ASK-YOU. That's 1-800-427-5968. If you don't want to pay the uh, toll charge, I don't know if there are any toll charges really these days. These days, man, phone, you know, when you look back on phones and what they were in our lifetime, it's just amazing how far they've come. Um, kids today, they just don't know what they got. In fact, you know, we're talking about kids. I'm in this house with this this grandmother, and the house really shouldn't be lived in. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty sad. The granddaughter's living there, and, you know, and the and the and the grandmother says, "Well, I don't know what to do with all this stuff." And I said, "I said leave it behind." And I said, "What?" If, she said, "What about my granddaughter?" I says, "Well, doesn't she? You know, how old is she? She's twenty something. She should be able to take care of herself." It's amazing how this girl feels that grandmother should be taking care of her. She makes money, doesn't give any to the grandmother, but she thinks that grandmother should continue to take care of her in her mid twenties. Grow up, young lady. Life is a lot like that. Listen, I got I got to notice that our show's over in about a minute. Thank you again for listening. 
I hope you got something out of the show, and I hope you listen again next week. We'll be back next Sunday. Um, it is the week before Super Bowl. Uh, we'll be back on from 7 to 9 p.m. Hopefully you'll uh, we'll have a topic that you can uh, relate to, and, and if not, just listen in and give us your thoughts or call us with an idea. Uh, Anna, thank you for listening. It's always great to hear you. I was thinking about you today. I was hoping that you were doing well. And uh, we can talk some more after the show, but uh, we're going to wrap the show up. Any last words? Nope. Okay. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Again, we'll be back next week with more of The Road to Recovery here on Blog Talk Radio. We are part of the Link Local Network of Broadcasting. Have a great week. Unless you have other plans, go say hello to somebody, reach out, and give them a hug. Okay? Good night. Good night.